Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. While you're turning there, I've got an email from Mark Moore from the, the IMB uh, this week. And as we have been praying for our Afghan brothers and sisters and just the whole general situation that's going on in Afghanistan, a lot of folks are stranded there. There are also thousands of refugees. Well, the IMB is, is trying to mobilize Southern Baptists and Christians throughout the world, and there, there's going to be a good opportunity for that to happen um, he, he, <clears throat> with a couple ways. We can certainly give to that, to that uh, effort there in our finances, but more particularly, this may be a way that we can put feet to our prayers because there's going to be opportunities to actually house Afghani ref- refugees. And so there may be someone or many from Grace who would say, I'm willing to do that. I don't know if that, that's going to happen or not, but there may, you may have a, a, a bedroom or a place in your house where, where the, you can house you know, someone from Afghanistan who may not be a, a believer. And so Kristen and I have already brought it up. Uh, we are praying about it. I don't know if it's going to be possible at our house. It may be. But I wanted to put that out there. Please come and see me or one of the elders in the coming days. We'll talk about this on Wednesday night at our elders meeting as well. And there's some, an opportunity for us to actually get trained in how to help with this situation as well. So we're, as a church, we're certainly looking into that. But as individuals, pray about that. And if God has laid that on your heart and you want to take in an Afghani refugee, it might be able to happen. So keep that in mind. And also... Lori, your mother, it was put on the prayer list. I'll pray for her in a moment. Is just is she is she got COVID or is she does? Okay, is she is she at home? She's doing okay. Okay, um, and so I'll pray for for these here in in a moment. Um, we today we've come to the to our last sermon, part five of the supremacy of the Son here in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 as we take the Lord's Supper together. Um, But before we do, before we get going, I want to read just those verses, verses 2 and 3 one more time and then we'll pray and then we'll get started. Verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, talked about that last week, taking away our sins, but this goes along with the next words as we take the Lord's Supper this morning. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of of the majesty on high. That's where we're going to be today. But before we start, let's pray and ask the Lord to to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words today from the, the book of Hebrews. We are here today. I preach today. We come today for those who are Christians, who trusted in Christ and believe on Him. He has made purification for our sins, and now He is supreme because He is exalted. He has the highest position, place of honor, and we are here today as Christians because He is exalted. Father, I pray that You would help me to preach faithfully. Forgive me for my sins as they are great pray that Christ would be lifted up, that He would be exalted. I pray that He would increase, that I would decrease, that we would decrease. May Christ be more, more beautiful to us today as we take the Lord's Supper. Remember His death. Father, we, we also, I, I lift up Sandy. I pray that You would heal her body. And then all others who, who are sick as well, Bless them and heal them, Father, as brothers and sisters in Christ that we know and others that we don't. Father, that, uh, Father, your name might be made great. But we lift this time up. We put it into your hands. 
And we pray that you give us help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, we finish the seven expressions on the supremacy of the Son here in verses 2 and 3. As, the, as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, we will consider the exaltation. I put my hands up because it's not that Jesus is just, we're finding that he's exalted above the top of the roof or even exalted above the clouds, but he is exalted to the very throne room of God, the, the highest of the highest places. And so that's what we will consider today. We will consider his position. So think about position. I'm positioned here preaching. You're positioned there sitting. Where is Christ positioned today? And then what that means for us. This is so important for us. And it is so important as we understand the gospel. When we hear the word gospel, we cannot take out the exaltation of Christ from the gospel and its meaning. I am reminded of 1 Timothy 3.16, very famous words. Paul says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and then taken up to glory. Brothers and sisters, we have no gospel no good news if Jesus is not taken up into glory, if he is not seated, as Hebrews tells us, at the right hand of the majesty on high. So I have three general truths today, and then several, five or six applications at the end, okay? So you have to hold off for the applications. But three general truths about the position of Christ. I'm going to go ahead and give them to you. Number one, it is a position of honor. So, number one, honor. Two, it is a position of permanence. So, honor, permanence, and then finally, three, it is a position of rest. Honor, permanence, and rest. So, let's begin. He is exalted. Christ is exalted with a position of honor. This, this is the longest of my three truths, just to let you know. But according to verse 3, where is Jesus seated? I think she hears my voice, Hunter. I'm not distracted, though. Please know that. It's really hard to distract me. But according to verse 3, where is Jesus seated? He is seated at the right hand of God. The meaning here is that Jesus has the highest place of honor. That is the meaning. As God is honored, so is the Son. He is at the right hand of the majesty on high, which is to say in heaven or in the heavenly places. His glory is unsurpassed. It is unparalleled, unrivaled, unmatched, and unequaled today. As Christians, Jesus is Lord. There is no higher position when I was a, a kid, I remember, especially in elementary school, I used to play all kinds of games on the playground. I don't know how it works out today, but I always had at least an hour of recess. You go out, play, 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 play for an hour. And it was always a group of kids there. And what would happen, the way we did it, was the group would get together, and we're going to play kickball, for example. Well, what happens? You're the, you're, the, you're the captain, you're the captain. So you pick the two captains, and then what do the captains do? Captains pick. One, one, two, two, three, all the way down. To, I don't know how politically correct that is today, but I do remember that it was always an honor to be picked as the captain or even first. And even the person down to pick, gets picked last, they're saying, hey, I'm still being picked. I'm still on the team. A position. I, I think of our president. Highest position in, as the, in the part of the executive part of our government. Highest position of that one person. The big election we have every year. Even higher than that, I think about a king. Who would be the king over a whole kingdom. And so when we think about Christ... Paul says this about the exaltation of Jesus. 
in Ephesians 4.10, he says, He who descended, he's talking about Christ taking on flesh, but he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. Here, Paul is not speaking of the clouds or even the expanse of the universe. He is speaking of the place where God dwells above all things. Now, some might say, well, this says he sits at the right hand of God, implying that this position is a little bit lower than where God is. But this is just language. And if we go back and study, I'm not going to do that this morning, and look at how this is used, it is just used to show that he is given the highest place of priority and preeminence in the universe. And it couldn't be that the right hand of God is a lesser position because of what the verses look here at verse 2. He is the ray, or verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He created the worlds here and he upholds everything. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Well, no earthly illustration that I can give or we can give will do justice to the exalted position of the Son of God. It is really inexpressible in our words. John Owen says, How little our weak understandings apprehend this mystery, because it is a great mystery. Nonetheless, these truths that we have this morning have been revealed to us through the Word, by the Holy Spirit, and they've come down to us, and we are on a never-ending journey, never-ending, to behold the beauty of Christ in His exaltation. We cannot stop. We will continue beholding the beauty of Christ in His exaltation for eternity, if you just contemplate that for just a second. Now, when we come to Hebrews here, the context is Psalm 110, verse 1. Now, you don't need to turn there unless you you have it. You're welcome to. But Psalm 110, verse 1, is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. Most quoted. And so that's what he's quoting here in Hebrews. And in fact, the entire book of Hebrews flows from this truth, the truth that I'm preaching today. Jesus is exalted. So we can't really understand the, the rest of the chapters and of, of the book of Hebrews till we get it that Jesus is exalted to where he is. In the psalm, David says this, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And we see this throughout Hebrews. Chapter 1, verse 13. You're welcome to turn over as I'll call them out. But chapter 1, verse 13. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Or chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Or in chapter 10, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Finally, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Old Testament is full of, of this picture. It's full of truths about the exaltation of the Messiah, the Son of God. Let's take just a moment, and Pam, did we get those? And just read together some congregational reading. I'll read the the part that says pastor, and you guys read the part that says congregation. These are some verses from the Old Testament and the New about this truth. As I looked, thrones were placed The Ancient of Days took his seat. (laughs) His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. In these verses, we see that our Lord Jesus is exalted to the highest of all places. And we see these things having come true. Now, let me just make a couple comments before moving on to the next truth concerning this great position of honor. First, this this exaltation, and I've said this before throughout these these five sermons, this, this exaltation of Christ is in the context of humiliation. Particularly, his taking on flesh and then laying down his life on the cross. Which, right here, after making purification for sins, there's the humiliation and the cross. This great exaltation is not referring to Jesus particularly in his essence as God. As we've seen already, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds all things through, the, through him. He created all of the worlds. That's speaking directly of his essence and of being equal with the Father in this way. But this verse and this exaltation is in direct reference to his being humiliated and then ascending back to heaven. So, this is not referring to him in his essence. Once Jesus, or the one who's died on the cross, laid down his life as a sacrifice, as the perfect sacrifice, it is then that he is exalted. He is not only the high priest who enters the Holy of Holies on his own merit, he is also the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world, the sin of the world. John 1.29. This is why in Philippians 2, Paul can say this. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in every tongue, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We do not have such an exaltation if we do not have the humiliation and the cross. So that's the first comment. Second comment, very important. The exaltation of Jesus to the greatest of honor includes his bodily resurrection from the dead. Now, I'm not focusing today on his resurrection because it's implied. If he doesn't go back to heaven if he's not risen from the dead. And so we, we preach on the resurrection. We do that often. And we'll do that in the days coming. But today, Jesus, he is risen. And we serve the risen Lord. But we often just think about his resurrection from the dead. And then we stop there. But we, well, one of the things I want us to hear this morning is that we can't stop with just his conquering death. Because he must ascend back to heaven if the Holy Spirit is to come our way. And so it's very important for us to to think about that 
um, as we think about his, his exaltation. So that's truth number one. Jesus has been, he is exalted with a position of honor, the highest position of honor. Number two, permanence. Jesus is exalted with a position of permanence. This is an implied truth from verse 3. And we get this because we see that Jesus did what? He sat down. Now, to sit down implies that a job is finished. And we'll see this more directly in point number three in a moment. But in finishing his work as the high priest who also laid down his life as a sacrifice on the cross, and then ascending to heaven, to the highest position of honor, his work of being our mediator continues permanently, without ceasing. So it's, it's a position of permanence. A.W. Pink calls this truth a settled continuance. In other words... His position is permanent there, which includes an ongoing work. Yes, his work is finished. But as he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, the benefits that, that he accomplished by being exalted, the benefits come down to us continually. It's permanent, but it continually comes down to us. Let me give an example from the Old Testament of what I think the writer of Hebrews is saying. Jacob, one of the patriarchs, right before he died, he gathered all of his sons, which would have been the 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. And when he gets down to Joseph, here's what he says. Joseph is a bough, B-O-U-G-H in the ESV there. It's, it's basically a tree. Joseph is a tree, he's a bough, a fruitful bough, a, a fruitful tree planted by a spring. His branches run over the wall. So this is Jacob giving this prophecy, talking about what would happen to Joseph. He says he's a tree, he's planted by the waters. But then he says, the archers bitterly come and shoot at him, and they shoot at him, and they harass him severely. But his bow remains unmoved. His bow, like the bow you hunt with, his bow remains unmoved. Now, the reason I say this is because the words in, the, in Genesis there, bow remained unmoved, are literally his bow sat in strength. Or it... Uh, as Jesus says, abide in me, it abode in strength, in unmovable strength. Well, in the same way, Jesus sits in unmovable strength. His position is permanent, and there he will continue. <laughs> Revelation twenty-two twenty-one, very important verse. Listen at this verse. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Today, Jesus sits in a position of permanence. And this is very important for us. Think about it with me for just a moment. Since Jesus' work is permanent, this means there will never be a time when His blessings Stop flowing down to us as Christians. Because of his work of the cross, and making purification for sins, and then being exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high, we, as Christians, will never lack the blessings of God in this age and the age to come. In other words, because Jesus is exalted and his position is is, is permanent and continuous, then what he has accomplished, all of his blessings come down to us. And we're going to see those in a few minutes in, in our applications. But think about this. The river of the water 
of life will never stop flowing if you are a Christian today. This is why, do you remember the, the story of the woman at the well? Jesus found this woman there in Samaria all by herself. Beautiful story. Great, sinful lady who'd been married five times there. And the, one that, the man that she was living with at that time was not her husband. And Jesus comes to her, and he should not have been talking to her in public, much less in private. And he says, the well that you're getting the water from here, if you drink it, you will continue to thirst. But if you drink from the water that comes from me, what did he say would happen? It will come up within you into, a, into eternal life, and it will overflow to eternal life. And so it's so important for us to know that because Jesus has come here to do His work, particularly the work of the cross, and then ascended back to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God in a permanent, continuous position, that now all of the blessings that come down to us are because of this. And so we must always remember this. And again, we're going to hit some applications in just a moment. But let's move on to truth number three. Jesus is exalted to a position of rest. So first, honor. Second, permanence. Third, rest. Again, this is pictured also in Christ sitting down. After finishing His work, taking away our sins on the cross, He sits down. So think about this for a minute. If you work really hard all day. I remember even yesterday, Hunter, you telling me, I'm just tired. I'm wore out. After moving so much stuff to Durham and then coming back, just completely wore out. And I said, are you going to go to bed? He's like, as soon as I can get everything taken care of, I'm going to go to bed. And the same for Emily, working the wedding and everything. We all know what that's like. When you work hard all day, when you come home, you don't want to just stand. What do you want to do? You want to sit down, take a rest. Very, very important. I think, I think about the movie Infinity War, in Infinity War from Marvel. I, want to, I don't know how many of you saw it, but it, probably if you're younger, you saw the movie. At the end of the movie, the big guy, Thanos is his name. What does he do? Do you remember? He sits down. Now, that's not a, the best of illustrations because that's a worldly evil picture but still it pictures everything's accomplished now I'm just going to sit down well when we think about Christ sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high we actually have the real picture of what all the other sitting downs picture even sitting here this morning in a way of rest I hope you're not sleeping but you are resting for sure, because you're sitting, not running around anywhere. All of the, the sitting downs that we do here, wherever it is, pictures that sit down, that rest. And it goes back to creation. God, in six days, created seventh. Now, the, the Creator does not rest because He keeps all things. It is a picture. And in fact, six days and then one in rest is nothing compared to 30 years of, of living and then three years there of Christ working and then giving up himself and laying himself down on the cross. But here we see the exaltation of Christ who now is sitting down at the right hand of the majesty of high. And this is the pinnacle of rest. Now, think about this for a moment from the Old Testament standpoint. Think about the high priest in the Old Covenant, Mosaic Covenant. In the tabernacle of meeting priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. Was there anywhere in there to sit down? <laughs> well, you might say there was the, the mercy seat, but dare he sit down on the mercy seat. In other words, the priest entered standing, and the priest left standing. Year after year after year, after year, in that system, there was no sitting down for the priest. There was no rest. Yet, year after year, 
priest still went in, did his work, priest still came out. And this work of sacrifice never ended. When that high priest died, what did they do? Went to the next one. That high priest died, what did they do? Go to the next one. There was an ongoing system. But when Jesus offered himself on the cross as the perfect and acceptable sacrifice, and then he rose again, and then he ascended to the Father, he entered where? He didn't enter an earthly tabernacle. He entered where? The Holy of Holies itself, the place where God dwells. Very clearly, he entered heaven. And so now he sits where? In heaven, not in an earthly tabernacle. His work is done. And so in this way, Jesus, he sat down. He rests from his work. What beautiful truths we have this morning. The Son is supreme. He is exalted to a position of honor, to a position of permanence, and to a position of rest. So, what does that mean for us today? Let me begin our time of application by asking you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As we turn there, my question is, what does it mean that Jesus is seated, the right hand of God is in a position of honor, permanence, and rest? How do we walk out of this building today, having heard the word preached, and how do we act to this? What do we do and what does this mean for us. Ephesians 2.6. He says this a couple times in Ephesians 1 and then Ephesians 2 here, but verse 6, Paul says that if you are a Christian today, we are seated with Him in the heavenly places. Can you imagine all of that which I've just preached? And now Paul says, we are seated with Him. I, I cannot imagine a more glorious truth than this. Because of the person and work of the Son of God, by the Spirit, through the means of faith, we are united with Him. And He sits in honor. And so we sit <laughs> as God honors the Son. In Him, we are also honored. As He has entered the Holy of Holies in the heavens permanently as our High Priest, so is our place permanent. As He rests from His work, so we rest. So now, what does this look like? I have a number of applications. First application. Our rest in this life, comes to us as we look to Christ by faith, and by faith alone. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. So just turn over a page from Hebrews, or if you're reading in your iPad or whatever, turn over a page. Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 3. And here's, here, here's our truth again. Our rest in this life comes as we look to Christ by faith alone. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, those who do not have faith, they're not resting. That's what he's saying. For we who have believed, there's faith, enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Well, the work of Christ on the cross and his exaltation to the right hand of God, where he now sits, is the basis for our rest as we believe in Him. In other words, no works required, simply by faith. So, 
when we think about the gospel of Christ today, I, I think about my own life. I think about all the things that I, I trusted in growing up. I trusted in my church attendance. I trusted in my baptism. I trusted in my good works. I trusted in saying I was a Christian. But when you looked at my life, and you looked at where I was heading, not just over a short period of time, but over a long period. I'm not saying folks do not backslide and move away, but I'm saying over a long period of time, and you looked at my life, I would say, yes, I'm relying upon my good works. But when I was in college, there after reading my Bible, laying there in my bed at night in my room, after reading the book of Revelation, rest came to my heart. Because I believed that the Lord Jesus had died for my sins. No longer was I trusting on, in some system or some work or anything whatsoever. It was by faith alone. And there I entered rest very clearly. And so today if you're trusting in works, you're trusting in something else, then you have not entered into rest. That's first application. Another application our, as Christians, continued peace is dependent upon the exaltation of the Son. Peace. How many of us in here want peace? Whether it's peace in the world, or peace in our family, but most importantly, peace in our heart. Because if, if we don't have peace in our soul, then what do we have? We have turmoil and fighting and everything else under the sun. We're, and no matter whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, at some point you still want peace. Well, for the Christian, our peace comes because our Lord Jesus is exalted. He sat down after making purification for sins at the right hand of the majesty on high. Our sins are not put away. If he is not exalted to the right hand of God. The Bible says that he was crucified for our sins. And he was raised for our justification. If Jesus is not raised from the dead and then ascended to heaven. And then gives the Holy Spirit who gives us peace. Then our, our peace is not complete. And so... Today, if you are a Christian, because Jesus is exalted, your peace comes down. It comes down from Him. Another application. This means also, when we think about the exaltation of Christ to the right hand of, the, of God, to the, to, the, on the, to the majesty on high, we have not really preached the gospel until we get to the exaltation either. It's not that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. At some point in the speaking and preaching of the gospel, we have to get to this truth that Christ not only died for your sins, rose again, but he's also exalted to the right hand of God where he is your mediator. So we must tell people this. We must eventually certainly get to that. Now, I know that you may say what you can say and say God has this, he, he loves you or he, said, he, he wants you to be saved or he is Lord, trust in him. We can do all these different things. But at the end of the day, we still got to get around to the exaltation of Christ. Until we do, we've, we really haven't completed the gospel. Another application. There is no church today if he is not exalted. We do not meet here together ever. There is no church if he is not exalted. If he is not Lord of heaven, our worship is in vain. We are following a lie. We might as well just eat, drink, be merry, do what we want if he is not exalted to the right hand of God. But since he is exalted... He can say with the utmost authority, Jesus says, I will build my church. And then he can say to us, go and make disciples. But before he says go and make disciples, he says all authority in heaven and earth is mine. Therefore, go and make disciples. Speaking about his exaltation, all authority. <laughs> go and make disciples. It's complete there. Another application. The works of Satan 
against God and His kingdom are useless because Christ is exalted. They are vain and they are senseless. The works of Satan cannot touch the Lord of glory. They cannot disrupt, disrupt His kingdom. They cannot disrupt His plan. They cannot lessen or overthrow His rule. There is no one who can do that. This means that Satan and his angels cannot hinder the building of the church or take away the security of God's people. Why? Because we are, we're seated where? Can Satan touch what Christ has done and who he is and where he is right now? No, not at all. And where are we seated? With him in the heavenly places. There's a lot of implications there. But we are seated with Him. Therefore, the works of Satan cannot touch Him. And they cannot touch His church. Now, sufferings, persecutions, hardships, they're among us now. And I, and I feel like they're going to just get worse and worse. And over a, the lifetime of a Christian, we're going to see it. We're going to see it. Who knows what it will look like in the coming days. But no matter what happens, we, even if we are killed, Satan cannot touch us because he cannot touch Christ. So we are secure. I'm going to repeat another application that I, that I mentioned earlier. But another application. The blessings of God do not come down to us unless Jesus is exalted. I've already mentioned this, but I want to read Ephesians 4, 7 to 13. Ephesians 4, 7 to 13. Paul says this, but grace was given to each of us. So think about that. Grace is given to us. Here we are today. Grace is given. Grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of whose gift? Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended. What does it mean? That, but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And then notice what he does. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Because Christ is exalted, His work is permanent. Because it is permanent, His blessings continually come down to us today. Another application. I've got two more. Right now there is a tension between his exaltation, and then His second coming. We live in between those times right now, and there is a great tension. Michael Horton says, The church is born in the precarious tension between the ascension and the second coming sustained by the Spirit. For now, in this regard, Jesus is absent from the earth, but the Spirit who also is, in essence, God, continues to work until He comes. So we live in that moment now that is, is, there's great tension. That's why we, might, not, we ha might have a hard time thinking Jesus is exalted until all of His enemies be made His footstool. He reigns now. He is Lord now, of course. But there is that tension because we wait for Him to come back and get us. Final application before we take the Lord's Supper this morning. The greatest of humiliation results in the greatest of glory. I think, I can't, I just thought about this this morning, but if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia and you've read the last battle, the little book there, the very last book, there is this donkey who gets tricked by the, evil side, not the side of the good, but the side of, not the side of Aslan and his kingdom, but the evil witch and her side is tricked. 
And so they used that donkey throughout the, the book there to, to thwart the plans of, of that which is good, of, of, of Aslan and his kingdom. Well, in the end, the donkey ends up getting saved, you might say, the best way to put it. And so at the end, when they enter into the kingdom of heaven, out of all of the, all of the, 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 the kids and all of the characters of the Chronicles of Narnia and all of those, even like Reepicheep with the greatest of, of courage and all of these things, when they get to heaven, who do you think, after Christ, but who do you think they see first? It's the donkey. Because the principle in the scripture is the first shall be last, the last shall be first. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the one with the greatest humiliation will be raised to the greatest of places. And who, which tells us that the greatest, the most humble person, the most humble act of all of human history was the Son of God to take on flesh and lay down his life as a sacrifice for sinners. And so because of that, he is exalted to the highest of positions. And so as we take the Lord's Supper this morning and think of our Lord's words, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We do this. We do this because Jesus is exalted. He is Lord. He is supreme. He is exalted to the position of greatest honor, to a position of permanence, and to a position of rest today. With that in mind, we've placed the tables for the Lord's Supper on both sides this week. And so, as I always remind us, we do allow open communion if you are a Christian and you're not under discipline from another church. We would welcome you to come and take the Lord's Supper with us. If you, if you, don't, if you have questions or you don't want to take the Lord's Supper, that, that's fine. You're welcome to sit. If you're not a Christian, of course, do not take the Lord's Supper. If you cannot say, Christ has died for my sins and you've been baptized and believed upon Him, but if you are visiting with us, you're welcome to take the Lord's Supper with us. Don't forget, we'll do it together in just a moment. But again, there's two parts to opening up the juice. If you get the second part first, you'll, have, you'll open the, the wafer and you'll make a little mess. So keep that in mind. And so we're going to have a moment of silence. And then after a moment of silence, I will pray. Then I'll give you some time. If, if maybe one person or two from each row can pick up what is needed for each section, or what, you guys can work that out, we'll come together. I'll read from 1 Corinthians 11 here, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. So let's have a moment of silence. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words that we heard this morning. Preaching of the word, we believe in the power of the preached word of God. I pray that Jesus again would be lifted up. That I would decrease, that we would decrease, that he would be more beautiful in some way as we see him exalted. And that help us this week. As we consider that our sins are forgiven that we have such a great high priest. If someone is not a Christian, I pray that today they would look unto Christ and be saved. Give us great grace today. Help us as we consider the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. And Father, we just give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul instructs us how to do this, basically just taking the words of our Lord. He says in, verse, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread together and drink this cup together, we proclaim our Lord's death until he comes back one day to get us. So with that in mind, let's pray one more time, then we'll stand together and sing the doxology. Let's pray. Again, we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, help us this week. We are, as we take this juice and this wafer, even though it is small, it still is real. And it shows that we need Christ to nourish. As this little bit nourishes our bodies, so by faith, looking unto Christ, by the Spirit, He nourishes us. And so, Father, as Christians, we praise Your name. And we give you thanks. We pray that you would take the day, take the week. If you're willing, bring us back next week together. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know you hold tomorrow. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.